Welcome to The Tipping Points. It's 11-6, it's November 6th, 2019, and we're here in Kingston, New York. As always, with Matthew Edge, who is the founder and director of the People's Empowerment Project. What's up, John? How's it going? How you doing, Matt? I'm doing pretty good. Good, good to hear. Um, Also with us tonight is Jessica Berry, who is a... Hello. Hi. Um, (laughs) Who is an energy and climate change expert and also works in the field of renewable energy. Do you work? You work with solar panels, right? I do. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Solar installation. Solar installation. Wonderful. Yeah. Great. And Matt, People's Empowerment Project, doing great work out there. Our, our coffee is out there. Yeah, we got some good news for Democracy Coffee. Peace Nation Cafe, uh, right on Broadway in Kingston, uh, is carrying Democracy Coffee now. And so now there's one more place that you can go vote with your dollar with Democracy Coffee. And where 100% of the profits are going to raise awareness about campaign finance reform and trying to bring that about. Great. Yeah, it's not 1% donation or 10% donation like you get, you know, there's certain companies out there. This is 100% donation. Um, It's for the people. Tonight on The Tipping Points, uh, as usual, we're talking about finding the fulcrum, finding the pressure points. You call them pressure points? Yeah. Where we can make change in this world. And um, as usual, working towards a goal of having a political system that actually works for people, getting money out of politics. I mean, we have one major tipping point that recurs through all these podcasts, which is climate change, Mm. because the climate is (laughs) what we need to survive. And and the the best of science that we have right now is saying we have maybe 11 years to like really turn things around with a Green New Deal and transform the, the global economy towards green energy. And so we're, we're looking at that 10-year period and we're looking at, you know, the presidential election and, and what, what, what that looks like. If we have four more years of Trump, what does that look like? Jessica, have you, have you felt a difference in regards to your work um, and what you've studied just in the last couple of years uh, under the Trump administration? Do you feel like there is a difference, that we are not building the world we need to be building in regards to renewable energy and a climate safer future. Yes, definitely. There's been a huge impact like on the solar industry. It's, you know, it's been tumultuous with mm. um, the tariffs on solar and steel. So it's been a double whammy. Mm. Um, and the uncertainty around the incentives kind of has been shaking up the market a bit. On the whole, it's growing. Um, Despite the best efforts of the Trump administration. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. still growing, but it's got, you know, we meet, we need massive, like, shift in our focus on the grid system and to integrate um, renewables. Yeah. I like to think about massive it. massive scale. As like a World War II, like, effort. Like, that's, in my mind, like, sufficient, sufficient amount of energy. Like, our country mm-hmm. would really come together like that level of engagement of like civic responsibility Mm. and i just yeah so so that's the tipping point of our time and if if we don't if we can't reach that in the next 10 years we reach that point of no return no matt you're always such a you're always such an upper so fast (laughs) no Um, and and so so yeah so that's why i think we we, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about some significant numbers in 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 the democratic primary and the way that the media talks about swing voters and where the parties focus their energies and historically underrepresented people. 
Yeah, so that brings us to tonight's topic, which is swing voters versus surge voters, which is kind of a big topic. There's a lot to say about it. Um, but first, uh, today is it's post-election day. We had uh, yesterday was election day in America, and people went out to vote for lots of stuff. We had some local elections here. Some went well, some not so well, um, or some still up in the air. But we had some good news last night in regards to potentially working towards uh, a more functional democracy. And one of them was Virginia. Yeah, big news in Virginia um, and Kentucky. Uh, so I think the, the the tipping point in this in this whole uh, election that just happened, and 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 the, and the the tipping point for our future, for the future of the species, is who controls the state houses going into the year where they draw the districts for for Congress. So this is happening because there was a census. Yeah, uh, that was done, which required by the Constitution, and then they got to redraw the Congressional every ten process. years. And so, it just so happens, we have about ten years left to to turn to turn the tide on like a Green New Deal and a major transformation of our our, our, our world. And the congressional districts are drawn for a ten year period. So this is going to basically we're deciding right now what is the hand we're going to be drawn for the next ten years. And that's the, who gets to decide what hand you, you get is who controls the state houses. And yes. so, yeah. so the, the Virginia state house, um, they would be able to redistrict and gerrymand, right? Draw these new districts to either support uh, one one party or the other. Right. So, 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 for example, like the reason this is such a big deal is like 7% right now is, is how much more of an advantage the Republicans have to the Democrats in the House level. So that's, in other words... The Democrats need to win the popular vote by 7% just to have as much representation as the Republicans have. And so at, at present, at the, present. Re the reason we've struggled to have a Democratic Congress, uh, House of Representatives, has been because it's been gerrymandered, right? Because the majority of American voters are Democrats, yeah. um, at least in regards to party affiliation. Um, so you're saying they still have, they have to crush it. They have to go way beyond just winning the popular vote to be able to get the majority. Yeah, you, you need like a mini landslide just to break even, to have equal representation. You need a huge landslide, which is what we had in 2018, to actually win majorities. Okay. And that's fundamentally unfair. And so, Well, it's, it's fundamentally not democracy, right? It's, yeah. it's a corruption of well, the democratic process. Yeah, it's the politicians picking the voters instead of the voters picking the politicians. Yes. So so in Virginia, that's a hotly contested thing, right? Because it's a it's it's been a red state. It's been a blue state. It's been a swing state. Um, and so Virginia now is going to have a blue state Senate. Right. And a uh, a blue House of Delegates. Right. Right. So it's 21 Democrats, 19 Republicans in the state Senate and 54 to 43 in the House of Delegates. So Democrats in control of the state apparatus with the Democratic governor. Right. And the Democrats can do bad things with gerrymandering, too. Oh, what? <laughs> so, no. I mean, that's an important thing to, to bring up. Which brings me like, why? Why? Isn't it done independently? Why is it well, done by... There question. are places where they put uh, independent commissions, and that actually has shown the best results. Um, but, surprise, surprise. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I, like, like the way I'm looking at it right now is there's this like huge shift towards one party. And even if like the other party can like 
get some like we need to fix the system fundamentally and there's a movement to do that and that's a different podcast and we should talk about that sure and there's a question of do we need to pressure in places like virginia pressure that state apparatus to look for an independent yeah. but, council but in the in in the current system we would just hope that the the democrats would control more states so there can be a balance where it's equal and so um, but in a lot of states where the Democrats control, they do have commissions, so they're not rigged in the same to the same degree as the Republicans have done it. But there is definitely a lot of Democratic gerrymandering that's going on too. Sure, um, they're just not as successful at controlling the state houses at the redistricting year, which is what the Republicans invested in, and the Koch brothers invested in big ten years ago. And the Democrats got yeah, they got their caught with their pants down. And this time, Ooh. I think they're starting to take it a little bit more seriously. <laughs> um, a politician with their pants down? What? Never heard of such a thing. <laughs> Never. Uh, no. So, yeah. So that's kind of where we're at. And that's why it's such big news that with Virginia, they could – the Democrats could potentially draw the districts to their to their pleasing um, under the current corrupt system and then and, – and rebalance things a little bit. And then even in Kentucky, the, the governor will likely have veto power um, over uh, – a Republican drawn map by the, the legislature. So even there, they're going to have to come to some sort of a compromise. So there may not be a full like rape and pillage. Okay. So we're talking about Kentucky as well. Also, this is you know, significant under- for the next 10 years of what our house of representatives look, looks like. Sure. And so that's, this is, this yeah. Is so in- before this election, I was saying like people throw, I mean, the local stuff's important too, but like the big tipping point for, for, for the species, I felt like Virginia Kentucky, let's make sure that we have a ten year ten years of good congressional representation. Yeah. Yeah. So Kentucky, they now have a Democratic governor, which is yeah. it, people are talking about a, uh, what this means in a lot of different ways. Um, although it is interesting because that Democratic voter, one of the some of the main things that Democratic governor fought for was um, you know, standing up and protecting teachers' unions um and fighting to get uh Medicaid expansion to voters in that state. Um, so they were really kind of some bread and butter issues in regards to pension reform, teachers unions, pay and insurance. Uh, and the, the Republican there, Matt Bevin was campaigning on the, uh, impeachment of Donald Trump. That's what he was really campaigning on. And he brought Trump in at the last minute. Uh, Trump said, you know, Hey, like this is my support. Um, so there was a candidate involved in that who was actually looking at some of the issues that Democrats or citizens would be interested in. Which is a real-life political demonstration of how unpopular Trump is. I mean, the polls have been showing it, but that's like, you know, you have a really unpopular president and you start to you start to lose races in Kentucky. And so, I, both, I mean, it's a good indicator for, for 2020. Although they, they said that um, uh, the Democrats' lead was actually higher in the summer. And as the impeachment got got, oh, really? got more serious, it actually got cut because Bevin, the Republican, who's very like really combative, um, he said some really ridiculous things about t- teachers who were on strike. Um, he was able to say, "Look, they're trying to like stop democracy and they're trying to impeach the president." So there's there's some mixed messages there in regards to like how national politics affect local politics. Um, but hey, another another positive piece of news is ranked choice voting in New York City. That's huge. What, thing what is ranked choice voting? What is Matt, uh, Jessica? Do you know ranked choice voting? I don't know what it is. Ah. So, oh, so so ranked choice voting. I'll use an example of like um, an election in, in in somewhat recent past. Like remember when Ralph Nader was running against uh, John Kerry and George Bush? 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. And everyone was freaking out like, oh, no, Ralph Nader is going to spoil it because he's going to take votes away from John Kerry and Bush is going to win. Yeah, they said the same thing in 2000, right? Yeah. Some people still blame him and, for that, even though and, it was... And that's a, that's a complicated issue, and it's sure. not as simple as it's been made out to be. But suffice it to say, ranked choice voting deals with that problem. It, you basically, you rank your first choice, your second choice, and your, and your third choice, oh. and so on. And if your first choice is, let's say, Ralph Nader... And Ralph Nader doesn't get a, a majority, then that vote goes to your second choice. And so it's a better way to gauge preference. It's a more democratic way to like accurately get what people want. Makes a lot of sense. And what's so significant about this is is, is that it's gonna it's reached the mainstream. Like it passed in Maine. That was the biggest place it had ever passed. And that's like, you know, a million change people or something, you know, one point five. Sorry, Maine, if I could get got your First wrong, <laughs> have like hate tweets close, from Mainers, maniacs. Um, but um, Maine's upset. Right but now. New York City is like over eight million people, so that's a big deal. So the amount of people in the world who have ranked choice voting just went up a lot, and that's exciting. And so Maine, yeah, by the way, one point three million. Oh, a million in change. Very close. Very close. Um, I must have read this stat recently. Okay, so that that <laughs> makes a huge difference, right? Because under our current system, if you vote for that third-party candidate, you end up oftentimes supporting the person you don't like the most, right? right. So if you like it's Ralph Nader the system, first, yeah. and then you like uh, Al Gore the second, and then you like George Bush the third in 2000, vote for Ralph Nader, and you might actually end up kind of supporting George W. Bush because your vote didn't go to Gore. Right. So ranked choice voting would, would solve Ameliorates that ameliorates that. Yes. Which I think actually does bring us nicely into kind of one of the bigger topics here, um, which is this idea of swing versus surge voters. Because I think a big part of this has to do with, you know, yeah, who are you going to support and people not necessarily choosing the ideal, you know. And I think um, so. Let's so right. We're going to go into it. We're going to move into 2020 elections, swing versus surge voters. I think we're there. We got anything else about the election? There was some well, good well, news. Yeah, bad there's, news? No, there's a couple more things. Yeah, um, yeah. We got an update. I was on the the call for for trying to get publicly financed campaigns in New York State, which has come a long way. That affects in the budget is a huge deal. And so this commission can actually put whatever they they decide they want to pass as a public financing law for New York State for elections. Who's on this commission? There are appointees from um, some from the state assembly, some from the state senate, some from the governor, and the ones from the assembly and the governor in particular have been we're really on board there's already legislation like out there that is tried and true that they could use to get this done <clears throat> but instead they're and they were they were on board with that legislation and then they got some call and all of a sudden the next day they're like oh no we want to try this new and different thing and it was it's and they did it in a way that's really sneaky where they said because the way public financing of, of campaigns has worked is in New York City, and there's a model in New York City that they could just basically supersize to the state. And the way it works is that you know people who are not from wealthy means or not connected to the political establishment can actually run on a publicly financed slate, so they don't owe favors. To, they have the option to not owe favors to big corporations. And a, a, another way to power. And so what they're doing is really manipulative. Is they're, they're saying that you can't get donation, small donations matched from out of the district. 
And the districts are these arbitrary create. Well, they're not arbitrary creations. They're the result of you know political calculations. Political calculations. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so it's not like you know. Sometimes your your neighbor will be outside of the district, and so it's like it's, there's no purity in the districts. So they're like basically creating this arbitrary rule, which is going to greatly inhibit people opting into the public system from raising money and is not the way it's worked in the past. And people in the system now have still have a hard time raising money. So basically they're, they're going to handicap the people who opt into the system to make it not a good system. So people won't opt into it. And so they're um, basically trying to create bad legislation. So nobody uses it, which is what they did with the presidential public financing system, which is an awful plan as well. Yeah, I see that uh, every time I uh, fill out my taxes. They're like, do you want to donate a dollar? Yeah. Right? Isn't that on the, yeah. it's on the tax form, right? Yeah, so we're on them. We're, we're, we're you know, doing press conferences and we're calling them on their, on their, on their, on their BS and trying to, like, you know, retweet things and, and doing what we can. And, and challengers are stepping up in the assembly, um, starting to make some noise about, hey, my local assembly man or woman, why, or person, why are you... Why are you not making up a stink about this? Why aren't you demanding that the people that are that are influencing this commission, the people on top, um, why don't you demand that, that we get a, re- a system that's going to work? And and so that's I think a good a good tactic. And so that's so that's kind of what's going on there. And sorry, it's a, it's a long-winded story. There's a lot of background on that, but it's okay. No, I, I think it's, it's an, critical. It, yeah, it's an yeah. important topic. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah. So that kind of <laughs> moves us into the 2020 election, um, which is a we got a. A lot to talk about there. Um, one of the things we've been doing for a long time is creating the rubric. Oh, my God, the rubric. Matt, you've gotten into it far. Um, this rubric uh, rubric is a, a system of um, assessing a lot of information out there and trying to figure out uh, who would be the best to beat Trump in a general election. And we can talk a little bit about why. I mean, in general, we think that Trump needs to get beat. Um for the sake of climate change, for the sake of fair elections, not because he's a Republican. He's actually not a very good Republican, but for the sake of the earth, for the sake of democracy. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're a nonpartisan organization. So but we are, our goal is to help elect candidates who support public financing of campaigns and getting money out of politics. And so um, we need to call balls and strikes. And the current, current Republican Party, as we've covered in previous podcasts, is is really um, antagonistic to, to those efforts. And so, yeah, I mean, the Democratic Party is guilty too, but um, not quite to the extent that we need to be real about that. Sure. There, there are, I feel like there's a couple Republicans who talk about getting money out of politics, but there well, are Yeah, there is a couple, number. but one of them died. Yeah. <laughs> but there <laughs> and so now there's only one. <laughs> there was only one. No, no, there's um, a bunch. There's lots of, actually, Republican, and it's an important distinction, Republican voters want publicly financed campaign yeah so it's yeah it's, it's about we're talking about the politicians not about the voters um and well although we are talking about the voters when we talk about swing versus surge which is which is this is this major topic in this election we hear swing voters we hear that term constantly i've heard it my entire life right I mean, i'm sure you've heard it on the news swing voters swing voters swing voters yeah yeah absolutely and, and swing voters can can mean two different things uh just to like uh make a quick clarification here um when we talk about swing voters for the purposes of this podcast, we're not talking about people in swing states. Um, those we're calling those the swing states, sure. and they're they're accounted for in the rubric 
they're whole, they're whole different category. Right now we're talking about swing voters. We're talking about the 4 to 6% of the population that is a regular voter, but sometimes votes Republican, sometimes votes Democrat. And what we found is that they're not kind of what the myth is made out to be. The myth is that there are these people that are like, if you go towards the middle in policy, like t- towards like, you know, from the from the right and the left, the more you go to the middle, the more happy these people will be. But really, when it turns out is the, the people are four to six percent. So it's a relatively small percentage of the population compared to the surge voters, the the non-voters, the, the low propensity voters, the swing voters are this tiny percent and their own opinions tend to be all over the place. They're not these moderate people. They're, they maybe care really strongly about vaxxing and they, they'll vote for the Republican when the Republican supports vaxxing and the Democrat when the Democrat supports vaxxing, they'll support the Democrat. And so it's finding this like sort of ideology of moderation uh, this almost like sort of puritanical, sort of above the fray way of referring to those to that subset is is really unhelpful and actually misleading. And I'm going to go as far as to say intentionally misleading. I think that they're actually. Um, would, wait, you say, intent- would you say it's like yeah. an obsession with this tiny like portion of the voters, whereas you know, and then they're missing like this yeah. huge like segment of society that if they like focused on but maybe they're not really interested right and that's getting those people i kind of want to talk about yeah why they're not interested in those people because we're talking about like this huge pie and you've got basically half and these you know sort of napkin math half the pie is non-voters half the pie is voters and historically the investments of the political establishment have been in the voter side and they've stayed the F away from the non-voter side because they don't know what's going to happen. Mm. Also, the assumption is that they don't vote. They don't care and you're not going to be able to get them out. That's I right. think I think that's their part of their narrative is is to paint it that the people, non-voters are the these there. It's their fault. But really, it's the political establishment who isn't trying to get their vote. Well, it's also about who those those low propensity voters are. Those low propensity voters, for the most part, are poor people, um, young people, and people of color, or maybe people who don't speak English as a first language. Those are oftentimes low propensity yeah, people voters. registered as independents. So, so it's you, those those are not white middle class voters that you are either connected to, taking donations from, or know personally. So it's yeah they they are an invisible block of people right I mean they're yeah. they're not seen by that political establishment and you're saying that you think that maybe maybe that's on purpose I think well if if you as a politician have to decide between doing what's right and I'm talking for the time being I'm kind of putting aside social issues in that right left dichotomy I'm really talking about economic issues and if you're as a politician basically going to sell out after the 99% in favor of the 1%, you need an excuse. You need a reason that you're doing that, right? You're doing a policy that's like going to cost jobs, people more. You know, we want to, we want to charge you twice as much as the rest of the world. The world pays on healthcare, for example. Well, they need some excuse, some, somebody to point to, to say, this is why they're doing it. And they're, they're pointing to these mythological swing voters that make up such a small percentage of the population are really unpredictable um, voters. And 
and and and likely nothing they're saying is going to actually influence those people and ignoring the pie ignoring all the chips on the table intentionally because it, and it's it's stupid politics people like Stacey Abrams and Bernie Sanders have said no we're, we're going to take a different path we're going to try to focus on the non-voters and we're going to spend money and we're going to take a risk and we're going to focus on the non-voters and it hasn't happened for a really long time and it could be explosive. I mean, if you saw Trump do it, maybe a little bit, but but that's with a false populist message. What Bernie Sanders is talking about, what Stacey Abrams is talking about is getting into the communities that aren't voting and giving them a reason to vote for them. And it's a radical concept, but it's not happened. And it's 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 a real sort of emperor's wearing no clothes moment with these swing voters. And and I think we really somehow need to break through that and communicate that no, we need to we need to be going and supporting the politicians that are are looking to expand the electorate. So mythological creatures, the, the swing voter, <laughs> the unicorn. Well, they're not. Well, they do exist, but they're hard to find <laughs> and not very useful. So what is it? It's like it's. I'm trying to think of some animal out there that like people. But yeah, they, they, it's just an excuse for the politicians. Hard to find, not very useful. I don't know koalas. No, they're adorable. They're easy to find. These, they fall the out po- of trees. Politicians in come up with horrible policies uh-huh. and say, "I did this not because I, I got campaign contributions." <laughs> <laughs> I think you can find cockroaches. You don't want to find them. <laughs> it, they, they, the politicians say it's not because I got. I'm supporting this horrible policy that that takes money from the the middle class and and. and and the like narwhals, like they they exist, but they're, I don't know if they're useful. <laughs> Those are cool. They're super cool. Yeah, yeah. Swing voters, but they're maybe rare. Not cool. You never see a narwhal. <laughs> I'm also interested in like like the total number of swing voters must be going down. I would assume in a hyper divided partisan world, yeah. the people who it know is. they're Republicans and the people who know they're Democrats must know that they're Democrats and Republicans harder. So yeah. seeking out somebody who might flip. Like, you know, they talk about, like, the suburbs of Virginia or the suburbs, of, you know, of Los Angeles where there are people who flip and they might flip and go for a Democrat even though – which – well, I think this is another interesting component of that. Swing voters, when you chase after the swing voters, you have the possibility of building a whole different party and that party is going to be a compromise party, right? I mean that's like what it is, the mm-hmm. corporate compromise party. But it's not the swing – that's kind of my point. It's not the swing voters that want these bad policies that take money out of their pockets – they're they're just they have they have other motives to to be swing voters and they're and it's it's really just the politicians that want a concept they want a concept to cover their ass because it's not the campaign contributions they don't want to talk about the campaign contributions that want to like you know raise people's uh, taxes and 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 make their standard of living worse you know, well, they, well, what, what I was going to get to was yeah, that sorry. I think the interesting point there is that the Democratic Party is close to potentially flipping to becoming multiple things, which would be the party of uh, all free trade, shirt, TPP, yes, uh, you know, uh, any existing the free, free trade. The neoliberal agenda. The neoliberal agenda, as well as the intelligence state, because there's been such a falling out with the Republican Party on a national level in regards to, like, yeah, can you trust the NSA? Can you trust the FBI? And, and Trump attacking well, they were They were running wild under Obama. Yeah, so... There, there is the real chance that if you, if you want, you can pivot the party to be 
And Hillary kind of tried to do this, of saying, like, I love America, and I am a patriot, and I want to have a strong... Well, it was her strategy. It was a losing strategy. And even Trump saw the, that the secret was getting the non-voters out. Mm-hmm. And I went to the polls. I was living in up, upstate New York, and there was all sorts of Trump voters there who had never voted before. It was a, it's a real thing. A, 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 you get a, a, just a tiny bit of that pie of non-voters motivated, and it really sends seismic shockwaves through the system. And the Democrats have not been doing that to their own detriment. And it's about time that that changes. And I think I think that's happening. And that's why this part of why this primary is so important. So so let's talk a little bit about the rubric, and let's talk about what it says about low propensity voters and the candidates, right? Um, so, Matt, you've been putting a lot of effort into this rubric. Um, it's a it's a bunch of crazy sheets with lots of information. Jessica, did you look at the rubric? You looked at this thing? I, I kind of gave it a glance. You gave it a once-over. Like from, yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, I'm, there's a lot of info in there. It but... looks like a lot of work went into this. <laughs> a lot it of does. math. A lot of math. And we want to we wanna get um, listeners to be able to look at this and other people to interact with this. It's a lot of really good data that's been compiled. I'm meeting with uh, somebody tomorrow who's going to help me get this into graphics form so we can get it up on the website. So Great. that's Wonderful. coming. So we have within here um, a section about low propensity voters um, and popularity also amongst non-affiliated you got your millennials you got these groups of people um so what does it say what 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 are we looking at we're about to start having primaries this summer right when is it it's 100 less days than 100 away. days away it's it's like the, three months this election's gonna start crazy. yeah and primary start the, what's a, a pivotal point in in the survival of the species is going to happen in 100 days and we need to get this one right we can't have another election where the democratic party is ignoring the non-voters and and so we really want to have a, a Democratic nominee that is polling well with these non-voters. So we got some new data in. I, since the last podcast, have updated our numbers, put in a couple more polls. I also started including more polls from, from some of the early states and just, just a methodology thing for some from the nerds out there. We're seeing that the national polls are not going to be as accurate as some of the state polls in the early states because in the states that are happening are the are more in the election environment. So you're actually getting to see the effects of the campaigns on the people there, right? Because in three quarters of the country, the election's not happening. No, like there's no, there's not voter outreach going out from the campaigns. And so what those people think is, I think, less indicative of what the people are thinking in the campaign environment. Um, in those early states. So we've started to mix some of those in with national polls to try to give it a, a little bit more of an accurate... What are we talking about? We're talking about Iowa. We're talking about New Hampshire. Yeah. And so we're going to be putting more of Iowa, New Hampshire, um, Nevada, South Carolina, and California um, because California is part of that. So so we're looking at, we're looking at that and we're, we've, we've added some. We're going to be, keep putting more of those in to try to get make sure that the data is as good as possible. Okay, so and so, what does that data say? What 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 are we hearing in regards to what candidate is uh, potentially going to get surge voters? Well, the biggest out? the biggest thing. I mean, I think the single biggest surge vote is millennials. Some really interesting numbers coming out of Michigan. Um, this isn't even actually represented in in the data, uh, but 
when, uh, was that Bernie was getting 73% of the millennial vote in Michigan. So Michigan is like the holy grail state of wow. of um, of 2020. Now, if they just go out and vote. If, yeah. Uh, if, if they go out and vote, uh, Elizabeth Warren and Biden were both tied at 8% millennial support. That's huge. I mean, that, I think that's one of the better better polls for Bernie. And, and our, num- our numbers in the rubric are a lot more conservative than that. But... Um, but it represents something. That says something. It says something. Um, you know, maybe it's off by 10 or 20, whatever. But even so, even it's off it, by it could be off by 50. Bernie yeah. would still be killing it yeah. with the millennials. I mean, that's significant in the most important state in the country. So, like, like that's that's kind of what's going on with that. And so we, I really wanted to get the more recent numbers because one of the things that's happened recently is AOC, Ilhan Omar um, endorsed Right, there was one more in endorsement. Just, just which, today or yesterday, I'm not sure. Which uh, congressperson, John Legend, I think endorsed Warren. John Legend, <laughs> musician John Legend. Okay, that's. That was, <laughs> I don't think I don't believe uh, Representative Legend was on my. Uh, well, that's not what I was thinking about. Um, okay, so AOC endorsing Bernie Sanders, which is significant. That helps with the uh, the young hip people. They like the AOC. So I I think it's fair to say that. I think Bernie's numbers are going to. I mean, he's currently he's killing it. Let's let's bring that up and see where what the numbers are. We got like an average here. Jessica, are you, are you a low propensity voter? Have you 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 go out and vote? But you are young and hip. So what do you think about AOC? Are you a fan? Not that young. <laughs> Jessica, stop. I'm a fan of yeah. AOC. Yes. Does her endorsement matter to you? Is I that am something? not a low propensity voter. Okay, you're not. I'm not a swing voter. Not a swing voter or a I'm, low propensity voter. I'm a voter. You're a voter. I vote in Great. all elections. And what do you think about AOC endorsing Bernie? Does that does that influence your thoughts on uh, Bernie Sanders or It does not. Okay. Because I've always some... liked Bernie. Oh, you've always liked Bernie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, it makes sense that she does because she was a Bernie organizer. Sure. I I think it makes yeah. Makes sense. Well, you know, a lot of this also has to do with the Hispanic community and the fact that there are a lot of people with, uh, or we should say the Latinx community, I guess that's the terminology uh, maybe I should be using, but um, that uh, there are some reasons why that community might find it a challenge to vote and to be heard and why they might feel like there are candidates out there that are not representing them. So, you know, there again, that question, is: does AOC uh, maybe have some pull, especially with young people? Who don't usually vote? Yeah, I mean, maybe we should just give the listeners like some some of the top line numbers. We put a, a, a curve on it. Right now, the top line numbers are so Bernie does the best. Um, this is overall rubric numbers. Bernie does the best at a hundred. Next comes in Biden at eighty one, Warren at seventy three, Harris at forty four. So this is this is in regards to who can beat Trump. Who can beat Trump in twenty twenty? The biggest single factor is who can get the millennials and out to vote. It's curve. So Bernie gets an A. Yeah. Biden B minus. A War- Warren gets a C minus. She's down in the seventy three. She's seventy three, and then Harris. We still have Harris in there at forty four. Yeah. So and Buttigieg was failing with flying colors too. But actually, some of his numbers were better than Harris's. So he's somewhere around there. Um, the polling was the earlier polling wasn't as good with him, so we're, we're going to work on getting him back up in there since he seems to be sticking around, and he's yeah. done a lot of fundraising. Mayor Pete, well, and so interesting. This says you know Sanders beating Biden 
in regards to how, uh, you know, if he could beat Trump. But then also Biden's still beating Warren. So there's an interesting something interesting there implied about Warren and Sanders. Well, what's yeah, what, what's going on there is that Warren is tanking among the non-white vote. Those numbers do not look good for a general election, and um, her her head-to-head matchups against Trump have have you know gotten marginally better with her surge. She doesn't get out the black vote, and she doesn't get out so the far. And vote. if that like if you, the organization like Elizabeth Warren feel like she's a good candidate on campaign finance reform would trust her from what we've seen but her numbers against trump are really are troubling in this regard so yeah that's that's something to consider you know in terms of biden i mean biden is doing well in our rubric with non-white voters but he's a, a deeply flawed candidate for other reasons so biden's doing well with non-white voters quote unquote a lot of that has to do with doing well with black voters right yeah, I think he's still riding the I'm Obama's vice president wave. Mm-hmm. And I think the voters really haven't gotten to know Joe much beyond that. You know, and I think as the campaign wears on and we're starting to see this in the earlier states that Biden is doing worse where the campaign is actually happening than in the national polls. So I think you'll start to see the national polls mimicking the early states as the election wears on and um but if you've seen him in the debates i mean and i'm not one to make too much of the debates but he was not so coherent i think it's a really big concern in the general election and so we're hoping that that ticking time bomb explodes before (laughs) the general election explodes or implodes i don't know implode maybe a little maybe a little less yeah yeah um he maybe i hope i hope he implodes into a very comfortable chair and he can just, you know, have a nice, have a nice little retirement and just, just chill out, Joe. You, you're great. Just, You've been serving the people just, for quite a while. Just go be Joe, Joe. Yeah. It's all you ever wanted. Go Come work, on, Joe. Go work on your Harley. You ever seen that The Onion articles about Joe Biden? You ever see those? Oh, my God. There's a whole series. Don't get me started on Onion articles. During, during, the, during the Obama presidency about what he would be doing. And he's like, it's like all about his drum set and his, and his motorcycle and like... <laughs> It's all him being a goof, you know. Go well, back to that. Just, um, just a quick, a quick sequitur there into another argument article that, that that just came out. So Bernie's been surging after this AOC endorsement. He had the heart attack and came back and got a stent, and it's just been like, <laughs> kind of like the like the, he he was at the lowest point in the polls. AOC endorsed him at the fucking hospital bed, and ever since wow. then, it's it's been. Bernie on surge and the way the mainstream media has covered it is laughable they've actually gone as far as like cnn did a poll that showed the bernie surge but that what they showed on the television was actually different numbers than what their their poll it's not like they messed up like somebody else's poll this was a cnn poll and they published this the results on paper that you have to like download the pdf and that was different from what they were showing on the television screen. How was it different? They showed, like, it was like a two-point difference. They should put Bernie's numbers less than what their actual poll showed his numbers were at. And and if it was just that, it would be, like, not noteworthy. But it's happened in, like, over a dozen different forms in different ways where, like, they'll show the numbers right, but the graphs will be tweaked, weird, like, unrepresentative, and, like, in, like, all consistently biased against Bernie and it's been systematic and to the extent that the onion has wrote an article that the media is 
<laughs> reporting that Bernie drops in a two point gain in the poll or like <laughs> <laughs> and it was just yeah ridiculous but yeah um, so the coverage yeah the coverage is been, well, I mean Bernie Sanders is outpacing other people in regards to total fundraising he's the biggest fundraiser in the but race you, he has the most money on hand never, he's, he's drawn that. the biggest crowds in, in the race 26,000 people came out in Queens when AOC endorsed them he filled the stadium of 10,000 in with Ilhan Omar, he's 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 dwarfing the field in in, in these and the sheer number of donations that he's received, um, which is very indicative of popular support. But yet the mainstream media continues to write him off. And so the question, every time that happens, it pisses off the Bernie Sanders supporters and they donate more money. And it's brilliant. It's <laughs> It's just like it just keeps happening. It keeps raising more money because they keep making a bullshit. It, I like the trajectory. I really do. I think he's got a good chance. And also, if you look at the history of Bernie Sanders polling, if you look at the averages of what his polls were bef- before the election and what the actual result is, he, he ends up doing much better in the election because he's focusing on low propensity voters, non-voters who don't get polled. And so he tends to outperform, and which sort of brings us back to, to full circle about this working class coalition that, that Bernie Sanders is building to focus on the less educated people, focus on communities of color. And he's starting to surge among Latinx voters, which is a really interesting development. His numbers there in Nevada are great. And so that's that's fascinating. And so that's playing into our, our metric. I mean, he's he's still not doing as well among um, non-white voters as Biden, but he's like marginally doing not as well, like kind of like within the margin of error of a poll doing not as well. But since the polls have been consistent enough, it's, it's like a, a slightly significant amount. And but but he's getting better. Like his numbers continue to do better among communities of color, which is which is good. It shows he's a good general election candidate. And, and it's part of the reason that that he's leading, that he's got the best beat Trump score. I mean, I like I like Elizabeth Warren. And I I think if it came down to like we needed to support Elizabeth Warren to beat Biden, I would vote for Elizabeth Warren um, over Bernie Sanders if that was like a, like a pretty sure thing. But otherwise, I mean, she's she's got what like a C minus in our in our rubric, and Bernie's got an A. So, do you think that the mainstream media is talking about her more than than Bernie because they think maybe she can carry swing voters better? Is that it? <laughs> Is well, it, that's is this certainly a giant circle. The unicorn. Yeah, is this the yeah? The yeah, unicorn well, crazy Bernie. Can't... I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, but is this the circle of like the media convinces itself that you have to go for swing voters, which means it convinces itself that you have to cover voters who would be more palatable, and that makes a candidate like Bernie, who apparently is actually very palatable, but to the wrong people, he's palatable to the wrong people. I think so that you don't cover him, which means that Elizabeth Warren gets to be the person that you talk about more. Which means that she gets more attention. Like, is it just the cycle of creating your own reality because you're? But I, I don't think it motor? comes from the mainstream media. I think it's it comes from the political establishment. I think that's their narrative that the that the mainstream media either unknowingly or like they actually. I think some people in the mainstream media actually believe the swing voter lie, and I think a lot of people in the political establishment do too. It's a pretty um, skillful way to shape the narrative about about you know these moderate voters who are going to be really unhappy if there's more economic equality. But here's a question, though. Is there a reason to believe that low-propensity voters may also, a substantial chunk of them, be moderates? 
Like, is there a reason to believe that? Because we, we can't assume that all low propensity voters want necessarily a progressive candidate, right? So is, is, that, is that part of it, that they assume that low propensity voters are going to represent the, the people who do vote, and that means it's going to be kind of split, and there'll be some people in the middle. So if you go to the middle, you can get the middle and so the Democrats. I've got, a, I've got a good answer for this. I think, and this is a hypothesis, but it, we, can, we can test it. I think that it's trust. I think the people who are not voting <coughs> fundamentally don't trust the system. Because the system has never invested in them, so they don't think it's going to do that in the future. And I think that's a perfectly rational thought. It may not be in the long-term best interest, I mean, obviously, for voting, but I understand that mentality. And I think that's why trust polling happens to be, if you do a, like a regression analysis and you see everyone like how how well they were trusted like you put the candidates side by side like who do you trust more um you know elizabeth warren or kamala harris or bernie sanders or joe biden and whoever polls the best among who people trust tends to be the one who wins the election and so that's a really interesting thing to look at look at so we've put that into the rubric and so we've got new numbers on that on trust that we might want to just visit before we wrap things up here. Trust. Who's trustiness? Who's got that trusty goodness? You got it there? Do I have it? Uh, let's see what we got. Where, where, where is the trust in here? It's There's so much. We've got social media reach that we talked about last time. We've got uh, popularity with non-college people. General public trust. Yes, I see it. What were we going to say? Jess? I was just going to say that, you know, when you when you, I see a, I don't know, a, a theme, like when you look at Obama's election, when you look at Trump, when you look at Bernie, they all were high trust candidates. Yeah, totally. And, right? I, I and think Obama also represented like that, that there would be change, right? Mm -hmm. Like big systemic change. Trump did the same thing. Bernie does the same thing. There's a running theme that people want to see systemic change happen. Yeah. yeah. And Joe Biden's like running against that. Hillary ran against it. Hillary yes. ran against systemic change, which is like, no, things are getting better. We need to stay the course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nobody like, wow, likes no. nobody likes the waffling milk toast politicians. And I think a lot of people it's don't vote so because, because, because <laughs> the, the politicians come off as disingenuous and and they largely are. And so that's why this is significant. So the numbers we're getting are showing um, the, the person who is most trusted among the, uh, in this national poll, uh, Washington Post, ABC, from October 27th to 30th. So very recent poll shows Bernie is the most trustworthy, according to people. And second is Biden at 96. It's a, it gets an A, a solid A. Warren um, gets a 59. Um, unfortunately, I think maybe the Pocahontas stuff, I think there is, there is a societal bias against women, which is unfortunate, uh, but a reality that we live in. It's, 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 it's um, astounding to me that... Buttigieg that, is at 33 and Harris at 15. Mm -hmm. Astounding to me that people trust Warren less than Joe Biden. Right. I, I, yeah. Because I, I have whoa. watched her career for a very long time since she was in the Obama administration. And, uh, you know, was it even tempted to print my own, 
you know, Elizabeth Warren for president sticker in 2014 or 2015 because I was such a fan of hers, um, especially in regards to financial regulation. And she's been saying very the same stuff for 15 years. She's and consistent like Bernie is consistent. She's very consistent. Yeah. So it's it's just surprising to me because I... But she does have some Biden, stuff in Joe her Biden. past. That, I mean, like, she was a Republican. Like, when segregation was an issue, she was a Republican. When, like, a lot of really bad things were the Republican Party was behind, she was a Republican. So, I mean, there is a basis in fact also, that for was people. Also like, maybe... It doesn't speak to her trust, but her her judgment. I I, I, I think that I think that misrepresents. Yeah, that okay, was, she, yeah. Was a, she was I'll a Republican when there was a liberal part of the Republican Party. Nelson Rockefeller was our governor. He was a liberal Democrat, a liberal Republican. I mean, she was a Republican through Reagan. She was a Republican through the like, Contras and all these 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 efforts to overthrow democracies all over the world that were put through by both Republicans and to some extent Democrats. I don't know. I think it's a stain on her record. Um, I understand. I don't think. That, I don't think it's about that. I don't think most voters that know anything about that. That's fair. I think the reason they do do not trust her is because they don't know her, and she seems stiff. And the reason they trust Joe Biden is because he's quick and easy with a smile, and seems comfortable and confident to be himself. And 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 they have an association with him and Obama. I think it has nothing to do with any piece of legislation he's ever written or what stance he took on anything. I don't know. I, I, I just don't think voters think about trust that way. Mm-hmm. And I think they, they think Bernie is never full of shit. When they see him talking, I think they can read on him. He's not bullshitting me, ever. But well, I'm, I'm just surprised. Why does the millennial generation, why are they pulling so well with Bernie? I think it's because they trust him. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Is that, well, part of that's consistency, and the other part is he doesn't seem to be bullshitting you. Right, he's been saying the same thing forever, and he's not bull- bullshitting you. Yeah, but I, I do think Elizabeth Warren's been saying the same thing for a very long time. I, tr- I fundamentally trust her. Like, if, if like, and maybe it's just my personal biases, and who cares what I think? But like, I don't know. I get a vibe of sort of folksiness about her, like that, that she's sort of like trying to do the right thing, and like, like I, that's the vibe I yeah, get. Totally. I, I'm, su- yeah. you know, I'm surprised that her numbers were as low. But hey, that's this is just saying. one poll, and, th- and that's why we're gonna keep updating this and this is actually the only one that's come out this year that, that we'll be seeing a lot more of these um so we'll get a much better picture so take this one with a grain of salt but uh you know with time if these if these numbers hold that'll be really significant for who you vote for in the primary mm-hmm. so yeah so a little bit in conclusion here so the democratic party if it goes after the swing voters if it goes with joe biden in particular who might be good with the swing voters but also maybe elizabeth warren i don't know does she speak to them more than Bernie Sanders? I don't know because they're mythical creatures, and we don't have one with us. Uh, yeah, I think I think um, <laughs> I think Biden will implode. Like once that narrative of of and pe- when people really look into his record and like what he's done, like all the like the plagiarism stuff, his history of gaffes as a candidate, his 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 horrible record on women and segregation. As more and more of that stuff comes to light in the campaign. I would only think that he's going to do worse, but we'll see. Right now, it, it, he's the front runner, and that's a scary proposition because we have a really poor contrast with Donald Trump, and we're going to see a lot of people sit out that election, and a lot more. A lot. I think we'll see a high. I mean, Trump dry, is going to drive the vote. Um, don't get me wrong, but compared to the contrast we could have with like a candidate like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, I think we would see a much higher turnout election well in the likelihood that something would get done right that would be 
most significantly Massively. because of where they're getting their money from. I yes. mean, Biden is getting money from super PACs, and he's on record say, making statements that he would he he's against that and not doing that. And then there's also recordings of him telling, you know, wealthy donors nothing is going to fundamentally change, and I've got your back. And so, in in his climate proposal is, is grossly grossly insu- insufficient for the magnitude of the problem. Like it's, it's going to, it's like, he doesn't really want to do the kind of expenditures and massive transformation because he's in bed with the very interests that we need to go to war with the, 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 the fossil fuel interests. And so his, his line is an insufficient climate plan. And, and that's game over that, that, that's not, that's not gonna, that's not gonna fly. So yeah. Okay, so there's more to talk about here. There's there's so much in this oh. rubric, and hopefully we're going to be able to get this um, in some publishable form so people can check it out. Any any last thoughts? Anyone here? Jessica, what do you think about uh, Bernie, Biden, Warren? Preferences? Thoughts? I mean, I like Warren. I like Bernie. I'd be ecstatic with either. Mm. Biden, he's, no, he's got to go. He does. Biden, no, he's got to go. Yeah. There you go. That's almost yeah. a chance. I think we'd have like a repeat of what we saw with Hillary and Trump mm. if Biden's the candidate. Yeah. He, People he, just and not even if And his did. fundraising numbers suck. He's not even raising money. He raised $12 million to Warren and Ber- Bernie's $26 million and Warren's $25 million. And he's, he had to shut down his, his online operation. So that means he's, that's that, right. He that's his that's operation that's anymore. his millennial outreach Ooh, arm. Ooh, that is. So we're talking about a real non-starter for the biggest generation in American history, the millennials. It's the biggest one. There's a lot of hype out there in the mainstream media about Biden being the best candidate to beat Trump. To be fair, in some states that are going to be swing states, Biden is polling well against Trump. Expect those numbers to collapse. And don't don't bet your house on those numbers. They're way too early numbers to to really give much weight. We got to look at at this stage in the race. We've got to look at the fundamentals. If those numbers continue, we will update you. If he continues to hold leads against Trump in the swing states, we'll keep you updated. We'll let you know, and we want people to make the you know informed decisions. But right now, we're starting to see a little bit of a slippage, and I expect that to grow. Yeah, and I mean, it does make sense, the mainstream media, because they ignore the existence of Bernie Sanders. Um, so he's like the opposite of the mythical creature. Like, he exists, but they're like, what? I don't see him. Um, <laughs> well, he, he's, there's this, this narrative of the emperor wearing no clothes, and he's not part of the narrative. He just doesn't fit this character like, that, that gets these non-voters out. He just doesn't, he's not part of the story, so he doesn't exist. Yeah, and I do see a difference there between, like how Trump was covered in the media because Trump got so much media com- coverage, right? Because mm-hmm. he was just so outlandish all the time. And sure. it, everyone was just like, look at that. Look yeah, at he, that. he look occupied... Blah, he, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Bernie like, doesn't capture the media's attention like that, like that in that same way. Yeah, yeah. Tr- Trump, Trump uh, occupies the media cycle like a fart occupies a car. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Beautiful poetry. I like that. It's I not like mine. That. I heard it read it somewhere online. <laughs> and Bernie apparently <laughs> occupies the hearts of young people like a parasitic heartworm. But yeah, no, I think <laughs> I do think this AOC endorsement is significant. My sister, who's just like really, really, really wants uh, a female president, um, was just like, yeah, I'll, and she's a millennial, solid millennial. Uh, 
she was like, yeah, I'll follow AOC off a cliff. I'm for Bernie now. And that, I was like, whoa. And she had been for Warren. So that was like, wow, I'm, we're seeing it. So there's there's a shift going See? on. AOC leading young people to dangerous behaviors But yeah, I, I right think, off cliffs. I, I think the AOC <laughs> endorsement, it... This is what the Republicans are saying. It, it provided an opening for young women to be I'm for Bernie and not feel like they're like abandoning femininity. And it also allowed, I think a lot of frankly men to feel say, to feel comfortable like saying I'm for Bernie in this time where we really need to have a female president. It's been too long. It's unacceptable. It's not cool. It's, it's awful. But, but, but the fact that we have a high profile young woman of color coming out and saying, this is what I want creates, I think, an opening of, of, of some space. Jessica, do you feel pressure at all to support a female candidate? You're like, yeah, we got to have a female president. Like, right? Shouldn't we do that already? Yeah. I, 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 no, I don't feel particular pressure. Not pressure, no. But I, I think that, you know, the, the idea is like, yes, of course, we need, we need that representation that needs, but that's, that wouldn't be why I, we need systemic change. Like right. that's what that who can do that? Who can make that happen? Sure. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for the discussion. Uh, Matt, Jessica, goodbye to both of you. We'll see you soon. John right? house. Thank you soon. so much for doing this. And you've got like a lot on your plate right now. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks folks. Bye. We'll see you Bye. next time. Thanks Jessica. Thanks, everyone.